0: Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch.
1: All right, go ahead and move back to your seats, everyone. Good to see you all. Welcome, welcome. Good morning. Good to see you all. Um, and it's good to see Kaylee back up here, huh? All right. Daniel playing that single, single dad life. You did great. She's still got all her fingers and toes. I mean, that's the best you can hope for these days, you know? Huh? No. Bring her, bring her by after. We'll do a count. Uh, welcome, everyone, to City Beautiful. Um, so we're in this series right now called A Generous Common Life. And um, for three months, we're, we're delving deep into this very dense passage of Paul, where he's writing to this church in Galatia. And it's kind of the tail end of this letter. Uh, It's sort of his kind of final admonitions to this community. And he's really encouraging them, this is what it looks like for you to live this rich, generous life to which you've been called by King Jesus. And what we've especially been sitting with is this sort of paradox that Paul lays out for us. You'll see it in a moment when we read in the message, but many of you might be familiar in the NIV. It says, each of you should carry your own load. And then he also says, almost in the same breath, you should carry each other's burdens. And what are the differences between those two things? What are our responsibilities, our personal responsibilities? What are we to carry that we cannot blame other people for? But what are the things um, that we're encouraged to actually help one another with? So even last week, we talked about the gift of blessing, That when you and I, when we forget what God is really like or when we forget who we are uh, because we're going through extraordinary stress or crisis and when we feel like we've forgotten what's true, um, God has given us community, the people around us, to speak to us in a way that it reminds us of what we've forgotten, that it reveals to us what has been hidden, and that it opens us up to new possibilities and new horizons with God. Um, And I hope that all of you... Uh, have been really thinking about that 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 extraordinary responsibility that we have to bless one another. Um, I know in our community group this week it was really it was really precious. We um, rather than just simply sharing our blessings with one another, Ava recommended, why don't we write out our blessings, fold them up, we'll put them in a bowl, and then we'll all pick one randomly. So we speak over one another. You hear your own blessing through someone else's mouth, and it was just this really precious moment. Um, of recognizing how much we all hunger and thirst for that. Don't you just sometimes you wish somebody would say something that speaks to the deepest questions in you? It goes beneath the surface of just like how nice you look or how good of a job you did or whatever it might be. But they really speak something to the deepest part of you. And that's a radical responsibility that we have for one another. And I would encourage you to continue to practice that art of blessing. Like get out of your own way kind of put your ego aside or your fear of how you'll be perceived and speak um, those blessings, because I think that's invaluable for us as a community um, to keep us bound together and to keep us in a, in a position of affection for one another when we're able to do that for each other. And so um, that, that kind of leads into where we're headed today. I'm going to read Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10, And this is in Eugene Peterson's translation called The Message. And as I've spoken about before, we're bouncing through different um, translations of this very same passage over three months. And I like uh, Peterson's translation because it's more readable. And we've always said, like, the the trade-off is It's a bit more readable, it's maybe a little bit less accurate to the original languages, or you get a translation that's very accurate to the original languages, but it can be kind of clunky. So we're bouncing back and forth between those, but this is how Eugene Peterson phrases um, our passage in this series. Live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. Does anybody in here think that they're too good to share each other's burdens? Marshall, get out! (laughs) Just kidding. Make a careful exploration of who you are, and the work you have been given, and then sink yourself into that. Don't be impressed with yourself. Don't compare yourself with others. Each of you must take responsibility for doing the creative best you can with your own life. Be very sure now that you who have been trained to a self-sufficient maturity, that you enter into a generous, common life with those who have trained you, sharing all the good things that you have and experience. Don't be misled. No one makes a fool of God. What a person plants, he will harvest. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others, ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, eternal life. So, let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop, we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, this little phrase at the very end, that we work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. And I said that one of the tragedies of modern society or modern culture is this phenomenon this phenomenon of individualism that says that you are this autonomous unit and you are fully you have the right to define who you are and how you see yourself and what you do with your time energy. And you're kind of milling around in and amidst all of these other autonomous units. So whenever we come to this thing called church, there's just a bunch of individuals milling around. And we don't know if we have connection to each other or whatever it might be. We, don't, we, we recognize that we're all these little islands until our, unto ourselves. And this is this little kind of archipelago of autonomous American units. That's how we often think of life. Um, and I think one of the most radical benefits of the gospel is that God welcomes us into a family, as Howard Wass says it. That God makes creates a family of strangers, and He binds us together not because we chose one another, but because God chose us for one another. Now, when you look around this room, you know perhaps there's people in here that you probably wouldn't have chosen, right? Daniel. Just kidding. I would choose Daniel every day of the week. Um, but that, I think that's the radical nature of, of one of the benefits of the gospel is God saves us into a family of people that we did not choose. And something happens there where we part of who we are is attached to who we belong to. And I think oftentimes the reasons that we um, are afraid of each other, um, or the reasons that we see how showing up for one another costs us, or we have that defensive position, is because we believe that we're still supposed to maintain the sense of individuality. That if I give myself over to a group of people, in some way I, I lose my sense of being an individual. And so every opportunity to serve, uh, to show up in a community, costs me. And I'm always just mitigating the loss of my own individuality. So I think a lot of times, not always, because I think there are church cultures out there absolutely that burn people out and ask too much of them or whatever because they don't train people to learn how to intelligently say yes and no. And that's one of the things that we've endeavored to do is can we teach you how to intelligently say yes and no in a way that honors God, honors yourself, and honors other people. Um, but there's, it's, I think it's much more a mentality shift that we need from saying, Uh, This 501c3 nonprofit organization called City Beautiful Church that occasionally I show up in is trying to sap me of all of my time, energy, and resources. And these people are just constantly asking things of me, and they're sapping me of my resources. It's a mentality shift that we have. And I think that's one of the very specific things that King Jesus rescues us from individualism into, I almost said communism, that would be great. That would be a whole other conversation. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I, I feel like I've, been, I've come clean about that one several times. I had the Che Guevara t-shirt in high school, but I also had the Rock for Life necklace, so I was a total mess i uh, didn 't know who I was when I was sixteen, as most of us don 't um, but this sense of communalism Jesus rescues us from individualism into a sense of community, and sometimes we resist the salvation of Jesus because we want to maintain this power over our like ourselves and everything that we have in this kind of miserly way and so Any kind of engagement just inherently costs us. And that's the value of what we're talking about in this series, looking at what are your personal responsibilities um, that you, I love where he says, each of you must do the work, the creative work to do the best you can with what you've been given. Make a careful exploration of yourself and sink yourself into that. Like understand your personality, understand your limitations, Um, how you manage your time, understand your feelings and emotions, learn how to uh, make them work for you through this Holy Spirit rather than working against you. But that we each have these communal responsibilities as well, simply that we take care of each other. How many of you have been taken care of by somebody else in this room? There's those little moments you realize, wow, I'm not simply just some autonomous movement Um, You know, like, I'm not an autonomous little machine moving through the world, bumping into all these little autonomous units, but rather I belong to these people. Um, We encourage each other. We bless one another. We challenge each other to continue to stay the path, and we forgive each other when we get it wrong. These are the foundations of what it means to be community. Because essentially by working for the benefit of all, we ensure everyone remains close to God and grows together, week in, week out. This is the thing that we have in common with communism, is that nobody gets left behind. Um, and I think in kind of a, a hyper-capitalist uh, society, oftentimes what happens is that people get left behind for the benefit of those who deserve more, because we tend to see wealth as a, as a virtue. The um, problem with communism it doesn't have King Jesus in it. Like, that's the only thing that makes it work. Um, But that is really the vision that we have as the church, is nobody gets left behind. We all go together. I love that little piece in Ephesians 4, where Paul's talking about the different roles and responsibilities in the church. And he says, these people were, were given to equip us for work of service, to raise us up in maturity and unity in Christ. And that means all of us grow together. Nobody gets forgotten. Nobody gets left behind. Um, nobody is judged for their lack of resources or merits, but we, we have this special attentiveness to one another to help us grow up into that together. There's a fine line between our personal responsibility and our communal expectations. Uh, we, we said it's not really as simple as saying, here's all your personal f- things, and here's all your communal things, and, and that's what it is. Like, It's never really going to be that clear But we begin to sort out the difference by doing the work and by this careful reflection, especially many of you will recognize when you've been in conflict with someone that you're in community with or in your family or, um, you know, uh, a romantic relationship or whatever it might be, you have to talk through it to figure out where was the breakdown in communication and expectations. And you begin to sort out some of these things, these, these kind of subtle nuances that are required. For example, we've said several times before, other people are not responsible for your feelings. And this is one of the problems. When we're immature, we say things like, you made me feel this. you know, um, That's not true. Now, someone might have done something heinous to you that, that requires... Uh, forgiveness, confession, reconciliation, but your feelings are your responsibility to take that feeling and say, what is this feeling telling me about my position in the world? What are the values that I hold that are kind of being impinged upon by this other person's actions? And you own your sense of feeling in that. And So those are the sort of things, we just work it out by doing it, like there's no amount of classes or courses you can take uh, before you're ready to engage in community. and Surprise, surprise, we make mistakes. How many of you have been hurt by somebody in this room? Nobody, just me? Wow, you guys hurt me all the time. Like all the time, you know? Um, and that's part of it. And again, I think one of these, like, one of the sad outpourings of individualism is that as soon as somebody disappoints you, say, oh my God, this thing's not perfect. Well, I'm out. I'm putting the walls back up, I'm disengaging. Um, and, I think one of, and I think that's tragic because one of the beauties of the, the, the Christian path is incorporated into it is this phenomenally high expectation of what we're meant to be in community, but this phenomenally radical uh, welcoming in of forgiveness and reconciliation, um, things that I think that our world really needs today. So as we're going through this today, I want you to remember that rule of life that we spoke about several weeks ago, like laying claim to our limitations and our time, our precious, precious time, and saying, am I incorporating in rhythms, proactive rhythms of connecting in what we call fellowship or deep relationship with other believers to be encouraged, to be blessed, to be prayed over, to be able to speak into other people's lives so nobody gets left behind? And am I Proactively seeking rhythms of service where I'm stepping in to work for the benefit of everybody that's part of our community so that nobody feels overlooked or let down. Um, And I think God's vision for his people has always been uh, the work of the many, not the few. Um, that God doesn't allocate a, a few professional Christians to do the work so that everybody else can kind of get the benefit. And there's a lot of different stories of this in Scripture that we could have gone to, but I wanted to go to one that we haven't talked about in a long time. It's in Exodus chapter 18. And I really, this is a really lovely story because I, I, I love, it's, it's kind of like where you see a spiritual truth and an, almost like a divine strategy being merged with something incredibly practical and reasonable. Um, Sometimes we feel like the spiritual answer has to be so like off the wall and counterintuitive that that's what's true. But a lot of times God works through um, very obvious things. And so this is in Exodus 18. um, What we find is that God has rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and they're now kind of wandering through the desert. And they're really, they're figuring out who are we? Like, who have we become? And I love This little line where God says, once you were no people, but now you're God's people. So once you were stripped of your identity, uh, but now you've been given an identity because of how I see you and because of how I love you. And so the Torah that God gives to Israel is really like the rehabilitation program. This is a way to live your life. So that you learn who I am and you learn who you are, who I've called you to be, and you discover what it is that I've called you to do, um, the job that I'm giving you as a people. And Moses is kind of the ramshackle leader of this movement. And if you know much about him, you know, he grew up um, in Pharaoh's courts. he was always, you know, a little bit of an outsider maybe. He um, rises up and he, he murders um, one of Pharaoh's guards, which is a great way to start your, your leadership uh, opportunities. He runs away, he goes out of the, into the desert, he finds a hottie, he marries her, God comes to him in a burning bush, tells him to go back, let my people go, Charlton Heston, and now we're in the desert. and so. This is, this, everything is an experiment at this point. Like, they don't know what they're doing, okay? That's where Israel's at. So this is this, is this little story about um, Moses and then his father-in-law, Jethro. Let's hear it for father-in-laws. Whoa. <laughs> That's great. All right. So the next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge, while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, Because the people will come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it's brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. So let's just pause there for a second. Um, There's a lot of you in this room. It's like somebody needs to do this thing. Well, I may as well be the somebody. How many of you are like compulsive, uh, like hole pluggers? Like you're like the Dutch boys. Like somebody's got to do it. Obviously, I've just got to do it. That's what God wants of me to do, okay? Um, Moses' father-in-law said to you, what you're doing is not good, okay? Um, And there's a couple reasons for that that we'll discover in a moment. He says, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men, and in this case, we're going to say men and women, Uh, From all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they'll share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied." Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the house, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned his own country. So there's a subtle difference between being Messiah-like and having a Christ complex, right? Like, I got that around. It's the other way around. Uh, being Christ-like and having a Messiah complex. To be Christ-like is to embody the Spirit of Jesus through our presence, understanding our limitations. Um, And to have a Messiah complex is to feel the need to rush in and to, to be the Savior, to be the answer, to be the one who's going to fix everything. And you see in that kind of understanding that's where Moses is falling short. He has a Messiah complex. Like, well, who else is going to do it? I just need to do this. Everybody's coming to me, so I've got to be the answer to everyone's questions. And Jethro, quite rightly, is like, this is not serving anyone. You're burning yourself out. You're burning out your people, and they're going to be disappointed because they're not getting... They're like really getting their needs met, they're not getting the best of you. And there's probably people waiting in the wings who are actually incredibly capable of doing the thing that you're doing, but because you've never actually looked for them, their talents are going to waste. So it doesn't serve anybody. And that's why what God has created through Israel and now through the church, it's the work of the many and not the few um, that's, that's supposed to embody uh, that kingdom mentality. And I like to think of it as this, the, the inverted power of the kingdom where um, there are authority structures, but the authority structures are there to serve. So you almost imagine like a, you know, like a pyramid in our typical power schemes where you have like a CEO, president at the top, and then there's vice presidents, and then there's blah, 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 and then there's all the peons at the bottom, or like our military. Take that triangle, and if you flip it upside down, like that's how the kingdom works. Like there are people um, in positions of authority, but that authority is marked by service and not power over. And that's why a lot of us are afraid of any kind of authority structures, and we do want to collapse them all down because we have been rightly hurt by power structures that are seeking to have power and prestige. But the spirit of Jesus is that being a servant of all mentality. And unfortunately, the consumer-based religion that a lot of you have come from assumes that the professionals are going to be the ones to take care of it. Um, You've got I would say the majority of pastors in America are actually CEOs. Um, They're really good motivational speakers, potentially. Uh, Again, because we have that kind of power structure. Um, But whoever the professional Christians are, they're the ones that are going to do it for me. They're going to do it on my behalf. And so I come, and I sit down, and num, 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 num. I eat up all these little spiritual goodies that someone else has made for me, and then I go home satisfied. Uh, The problem is you're never truly satisfied in that. Um... We want our community to look more like a healthy village that's discovering this thing or like a, like an organism where each part has its role to play. You know, it's like Paul gives us this really wonderful vision in Corinthians where he's like, it's like a body. And all the bits that you think aren't very important on your body are actually incredibly important. And all the bits that you think are so big and so mighty and so imperative actually aren't as important as you think that they are. But the body needs all of the parts in order for it to be truly healthy. And it's, you know, it's not sexy to say, but it's true. The more of us that are involved in working for the benefit of this thing called City Beautiful Church, the healthier we will be. Okay? The more of you that step up to find your place in what we're doing, the healthier we will be. You cannot hold the church at arm's length and go, well, that church is unhealthy. And it's like, well, were you, didn't you part of what was going on? It's like, no, because those professional Christians weren't doing the thing, you know? It's like, no, all of us have to have a part to play in that. So that's what we're really talking about today. What are the opportunities that we have to step deeper into working for the benefit of all? So again, pull out your phones. You're going to go to citybeautiful.ch weekly And then you'll see uh, there's kind of a financial summary there that's updated every week. So you can just, you know, we want to be transparent with where we're at financially. But right below that, you'll see um, a little blurb about Praxis. And there's a button there um, that's going to take you to a form um, that I'm going to encourage you, as we're going through today, to fill out. And this form is going to be open from today until about 2 o'clock p.m. next Sunday. And these are our different opportunities for discipleship and for Serving. So the first thing that we're going to talk about is something that I am incredibly excited uh, to, to kind of host and facilitate, and that's our Emotionally Healthy Relationships course. So let's take a look at this video. All right, well, everyone welcome Tyler. Some of you know him, some of you aren't, uh, need to know him. Um, so I wanted to talk to Tyler a little bit. He led, there's, so there's two halves to this Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is really about developing practices and rhythms that help you to stay connected with God, and then Emotionally Healthy Relationships, which takes some of that same wisdom but focuses more on how we relate to one another. So, Tyler, you led the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course this spring. And as a church, we've committed to this rhythm. We do EHS in the spring. We do EHR in the fall. Um, so I'd love to know, what what's one thing that you learned about yourself through doing Emotionally Healthy Spirituality?
2: Yeah, so for me, I, uh, I grew up going to church, but there was this incongruency between... Uh, what I experienced at church and what I experienced at home, and just the sense of, like, uh, kind of doing for God, but then the rest of my life being disconnected from God. And so uh, I think a lot of this course, uh, I just realized that there's a sense of um, that God is part of all of that. Um, and then one one kind of specific way is uh, one of the sessions is uh, called Enlarging Your Soul Through Grief and Loss. And... I think for so much of my life, it's been about avoiding pain. It's been about, uh, you know, kind of a called spiritual bypass, where you just kind of like put a little verse on it as a band aid to f- to feel better. Um, and so for me, it was realizing like, oh wow, I'm I'm either trying to medicate this uh, grief or loss, or I'm trying to just kind of push past it. And so really, that uh, God doesn't just deal with grief and loss, but it's actually one of his primary ways of growing people um, and to em- learn to embrace it and to sit in the midst of those emotions, to feel them, to be honest with him. You know, it's like, okay, I don't have to be happy about what I'm experiencing. I can be honest with God, but to in the midst of being honest with him about my struggle, I can trust him. And so I think this course has just really helped me to become more and more aware of how I'm trying to uh, to kind of avoid those feelings but to start to learn to embrace them.
1: And this is especially uh, big for you because you're making a huge life transition. You've been working with crew for years out at UCF and uh, and now you've started in um, with school. So tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, so uh, just kind of, you know, th- this course is part of it but just over, over the years of just uh, learning more and more about myself, about, uh, you know, uh, really what it means to engage with the Lord, how my story is impacting how I'm viewing God, how I'm viewing life. And so through things like this course, through counseling, through some groups I've been a part of, uh, I'm entering a master's of counseling program. Uh, so my my hope is that uh, I can continue to personally grow, but then as, as I walk alongside others, that they can uh, kind of recognize these ways in which they're uh looking to um kind of escape or to try to control and realize to see that um yeah just to kind of ex- accept reality and to really embrace uh commu- community so
1: so Tyler will be taking clients in uh, 2024 <laughs> um you know i think one of the things that's incredibly important when we're investing in communities to have a vision of where it is that we're headed so if you, if you had to kind of paint a vision for this church, what would it look like for us to be an emotionally mature church? Like if a stranger walks in and they were like, oh my gosh, these people are so emotionally mature. What do you think that that looks like? <laughs> I mean, one can hope, right?
2: Yeah. Um, I think the, the first word that comes to mind is curiosity. So there's a sense of I'm curious about my own uh, thoughts feelings uh behaviors uh and i'm looking at that not in a condemning way but in a in a way that i'm i'm wanting to understand oh like what is it that in me that's uh causing me to to act this way or to think this way and so i think as we can have hold both compassion for ourselves along with truth and a desire to grow that as we do that for ourselves then we're able to offer that to others Um, we can then be curious about others and not look, be looking and reacting out of our own story that we haven't processed. And so we're really able to engage people um, where they're at and for their sake and not for our own sake. Um, and we can engage the Lord um, in a way that's uh, authentic and about communing with him and not as trying to get something from him, trying to control him. Um, and so I think that uh, as we would, Live that out, then, like you said, people would, would notice that and it would be a community that people would want to be invited into. So, I love that. Great.
1: So, um, this emotionally healthy relationship course, I'm going to be hosting that on Zoom. It's an eight week course. I'm um, just going to start on October 4th, so you'd have a little bit of time to kind of sign up by next week. Um, and then there's a workbook and devotional that are, I think it's normally like $30. Now it's on sale for $18 through their website, so it would be your responsibility to pick that up. And it would be pretty promptly 8 to 9.30 um, those days. Um, and for, you know, I'm, I'm not huge on programs, but I think the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality and Relationships courses are two of the most fruitful things that I've ever engaged with in my life. Um, and it's worth $18 for you to become more mature. Um, So I really want to challenge you, especially if you're not in a community group right now or maybe you're relatively new to our church and you're looking for ways just to step in a little bit more. I think eight weeks, $18, is a very reasonable commitment to make. So I would encourage all of you uh, to look into that. So thanks, Tyler. Give him a round of applause. Um, A couple other opportunities, discipleship opportunities we have uh, this season through the fall. Um, on October first, I'm going to be doing another all-day teaching. So this will be the third of the year. Um, I taught uh, the Gospel of Matthew on Holy Saturday, right before Easter. Um, a couple months ago, I taught uh, what do we do? Colossians all the way through, uh, and now we're going to be doing Philippians. And I love that Nicole Carrero said last week when she was telling us what's happening. She's like, she's like, I wouldn't say it's fun, but it's really informative. And I and I. I love it. You know, sometimes we're so conditioned to gobble up bits of the Bible by verse, maybe a passage if we're lucky, but we don't have the big sweep of what's really going on there. Um, And there's a lot of people that suggest one way to disciple people is to make things smaller and more bite-sized. Well, people just can't pay attention for more than 15 minutes, so a sermon should be that long or whatever. I think that's really sad, and I think it treats you all like you're idiots. Um, I think we can actually challenge ourselves uh, to show up for the long haul. And so from 10 to about 4 p.m. at my house on October 1st, I'm gonna be teaching all the way through Philippians. We'll be meditating on the scripture passage by passage, sharing what we feel like the Holy Spirit is showing us or what we've learned in the past and trying to really gain an overall view for what this, this beautiful little letter is that Paul is offering this church in Philippi and how it affects us today. Um, you can bring your own lunch to that. We'll break for lunch, but I'll uh, provide coffee and snacks. So you need to sign up for that so that I can send you the information. We have three uh, kind of ongoing groups um, that speak to slightly different aspects of what we want to be as a church growing in maturity. So number one is our marrieds group. Um, Raise your hand if you're married Um, or engaged. Cassidy. Yeah. So this is a really great opportunity. You know, I think, again, in this kind of individualistic worldview, a lot of us feel really alone in our position in life. Like, you're married, but you don't feel like you have anybody around you to support you in that. Or uh, you have kids, but you don't really feel like you have anybody that you can talk to about how to raise them. Or you're single, and you just kind of feel like you're out on a limb by yourself. And that's, I think that's another kind of sad uh, repercussion of individualism, and, and ironically, that the internet has exacerbated that sense of isolation and loneliness. So our marriage group is really an opportunity for those of you who are engaged or married to come alongside of one another and to really share, what what am I experiencing, what are we struggling with, what are, what are some of the breakthroughs that we're finding, and how do we encourage one another to stay the path, um, because marriage is perhaps the most powerful symbol we have of the, the relationship between Christ and the church, right? That's what Paul tells us. And we need that living symbol. All of us, all of us single people, all of us, the, the kids, we all need that living symbol in the midst of our community to go, oh yeah, that's what it looks like for Christ to love his church. Um, and so I wanna encourage you, if you're married and you're not yet part of that, they're planning for 2023 and it'll be some sort of gathering about every other month, uh, which I think is really wonderful. There's a today... Uh, worship and prayer group at Marshall and Loy Head's house in College Park on Wednesdays from 6 to 7 p.m. And today is a French style of worship and prayer um, that keeps it really simple, focuses on repetition of words and kind of entering into um, the presence of the Spirit. There's a lot of uh, silent prayer that's involved in it. Um, It was designed by a a monastic community as a a way that like any kind of Christian from any kind of denomination could enter into that space. And so they've been holding that space for us Wednesdays, 6 to 7 p.m. And again, if that's a spot, like maybe you're like, oh, I kind of want to step into the community or I want to find my place here a little bit more. um, But I'm not ready for a community group yet, which is fine because we hardly have any spaces in community groups, which is a good problem to have. This would be a really great opportunity for you to do that. So that's today on Wednesdays, and then Friday mornings again on Zoom, nine forty-five a.m. to ten forty-five, I lead a worship uh, or a meditation and intercession group. So we um, kind of, you know, enter into the presence of God through a psalm. We learn how to read those psalms meditatively to allow God to speak to us through the words. What uh, is highlighted to us? What makes us curious? Um, the, the visions that we're given or little connections we might make to other passages. And we kind of share all of that, and then as we pivot towards intercession, we're looking to allow what God is revealing to us to guide our prayer for the church, for the world around us, for our loved ones, and for those who are suffering. And um, it has become an imperative rhythm for me in my spiritual disciplines, uh, part of my rule of life, that I look forward to those Fridays of gathering with my people online, being able to um, allow um, Scripture to wash over me, to inform me, and to really shape the rest of my day, to inform the rest of my day. So those are um, three other discipleship opportunities. The other half of um, the praxis form is opportunities to serve. And so I want to invite Kaylee Shipp to come up, and she's going to share a little bit. Give her a round of applause. There you go. Showing up's half the battle. You're doing great. Thanks. So, um, so Kaylee, you haven't you haven't been with us for a whole long time, and you rather just recently signed up. You're part of the engagement team with our dear charity. Um, yeah. So, what? Tell us a little bit about your story. how how you How'd you find us? Because we're in the science right. center. Did you show up for? Uh,
0: yeah, right? Actually, all, I, I think I've said this before, but all my friends, when I say I go to church, and they're like, oh, where? I say the Science Center. They go, are you a Scientologist? And, I'm like, and I have to say, no, I'm definitely not a Scientologist. It's okay. Uh, that would be yeah. awesome, though. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. Did I
1: tell you all about the sign that I wanted to put out front, and it'd have one arrow pointing that says faith, and one that says science? <laughs> I think that would be funny, but apparently other people wouldn't, because it's a hot topic right now. Anyway... Uh,
0: yes, I did. I found actually uh, I changed careers and what's what's really cool is. Uh, this morning I met John and um, uh, he reminded me of sort of my resurrection moment. Um, my little sister uh, got really sick a couple years ago and um, we almost we almost lost her and there was this moment where I was just praying for her and I felt such comfort and such peace and I just knew that this was something that I needed to be in my life more regularly. Um, so I started looking at genuinely like how can I be a part of a church and i probably went church shopping in orlando for like three years (laughs) and um somehow through friends of friends uh instagram i found city beautiful and what made me really comfortable about it was that there was the form to fill out to say hey i'm coming i'm new because i was going to all these churches alone and can be kind of intimidating you're like i think my question that i asked charity was what do i wear because i was like i don't know what (laughs) what the what the vibe is is it okay for me to just show up Um, so yeah charity met me i got to sit next to taylor and i just felt like so welcomed instantly and just like a warm hug and I'm a really big hugger so that felt really good. Um, yeah and I talk about being known then probably like my fourth week here, Charity was like, you know, I feel like it's on your heart to serve. Do you do you want to be part of the engagement team? And it was instant and I was yes, absolutely, I really want to. So that's how I got involved.
1: I love that. What so so you kinda have the story of like feeling welcomed and seen and known like and, and now you're pivoting to say, okay, what it is that I've received, that's what I want to offer. And so what do you, what do you want to show other people by your presence week in, week out?
0: Yeah, I think um, this season of my life, I've been really, really learning and still learning about uh, the powerful... Emotions, something that you and I have talked about, that we might call negative, like especially shame. A lot of my anxiety, a lot of my insecurities are rooted in that, and um, I think it's really easy when we're in those moments to feel isolated, to feel alone, and to think that we're the only ones that that feel that way. Um, so i that's a lie that's the enemy that is not ever the case, and so I think that's what I always want my presence to be is just that reminder that like you are so loved. there is nothing that you could do or say or feel that will make me not love you and that will make God not love you
1: and I think in the same way like so Tyler kind of painting this vision for what would our church look like to be emotionally mature um, give us a vision that you might have of what it looks like um for that attitude, just to become the general culture of our community, what would you like to see be part of our serving culture in that respect?
0: I mean, we do, we do a really great job of it. Like I said, uh, so many people here barely even know me, but I get so many hugs. I'm a big hugger and it's great on Sundays. Uh, Sundays like very quickly became my favorite day of the week and I think that's just what I want other people to feel, even if you don't like hugs, that you feel like you're getting a big warm hug when you, when you walk in and that it just comes from this like creative excitement this engagement that everyone feels toward that common goal of we just want we want everyone to feel feel the love that we have for each other
1: that's great all right thank you kaylee give her a round of applause So you can see on the second half of that praxis form, there's a couple different opportunities to serve. We've posted some of our needs, but those are no, by no means like all the positions that we have. Like we're only looking for one worship leader and that's it. And the rest of you can just take a hike. Um, so real quick, our, our greenhouse kids ministry, um, we talked about one of the things like this carry each other's burdens. One of those burdens is children. Give me a bit. Amen. If children are a burden, they're a beautiful burden but we have to carry each other's burdens um, and they're adorable. Um, just because you don't have kids doesn't mean that you can't be involved in seeing our children grow up to know Jesus um, and to maybe potentially even to give them the the type of experience in church that you yourself never had. Like, so some of you are probably rather disappointed in the way that your, your uh, church of origin did kids' ministry. Okay, so now you get to do better and you get to create a space for kids to, like many of you, you weren't allowed to ask questions growing up in church. Well, why not create a space where kids can ask questions and explore and embrace their doubt and their struggles and really take hold of the joy that they find in being part of God's story? Like that's, I think that's a beautiful thing. And again, this is a spot especially where I think the more people we have involved, the more relief there are for the people that are so dedicated to our kids already, but they are getting really tired because it's just kind of the same folks in there um, like doing their best to show up for our children. And so I really wanna challenge some of you, um, like show up for our kids. You know, our goal would be once every six weeks. I think that that's reasonable. I don't think that that's (laughs) that, taxing, (laughs) you know, but to be able to like, and be surprised potentially by what God does, not only through you for our kids, but what God does in you and bringing some healing to your own story. Um, Secondly, we have our engagement team. These are the people that meet you when you come across the bridge in the science center, when they meet you coming into the science center. Um, They're the people who are connecting um, with first-timers, newcomers, question askers, and giving them that sense of hospitality. We want to continue to elevate hospitality as a high value in our community. Um, And so uh, this is especially for those of you who perhaps that's your story. You have felt overlooked in your life or devalued, and you go, I don't want anybody else to feel that way. Well, engagement's a great place for you to heal some of the wounds that you might be carrying. Uh, Number three is our operations team. So these are folks that kind of come early, and they're really about setting the environment conducive for worship. So they're they're coming, they're helping set up space in here. They're helping to put the signs out periodically. They're going to do kind of more creative things in setting up the stage to create a space of beauty that helps us to engage with God. Um, Our tech teams are people up in the booth. So they are... Yeah, tech. all right, God, God is God is blessing us through technology. Um, these are people who are helping to set up the actual stage uh, in terms of microphones and speakers and all of that. Um, these are the people that are uh, projecting things on screen so that we can all um, kind of worship without any sense of effort or confusion. Um, these are people that are kind of running the lights to create a beautiful atmosphere. Funny, when they came up in the elders meeting yesterday, someone was, like, asking one of the elders, like, well, what's the worship like in your church? And they said, dark. <laughs> and I've been, I've been in it so long, I actually think it's weird when the lights are on when somebody's worshiping, you know? It's like, but we, we have, we, we are environmental creatures, and we desire a space that's conducive to engaging with God and with one another, and that's part of what that, that team does. And then finally as our worship team. Um, it's wonderful to have Kaylee kind of slowly coming back into the rotation. Um, but we're always looking for people who, um, who have that gift of leading worship, but also for people, um, if you play an instrument or you sing and you want to be part of that, um, to go ahead and reach out and we'll kind of give you the next steps for auditioning for that. So those are some of your serving opportunities. Um, so the, I think the question before all of us is relatively simple. Like, what is your heart for our community and how are you contributing to work for the benefit of all? Like what's your heart for this group of people when you look around? Do you have that sense of affection and devotion? Or do you look around suspiciously that everybody here is trying to take something from you? Um, Because what you see, you'll find. And if you step into community with this expectation that you're gonna be taken advantage of, you will find that Um, because your position to it um is there, but we have to ask God to stir up in us a heart of affection. And I think we're much more likely to say yes. We steward our yeses and nos from a much healthier place when we have affection for one another and when we're devoted to each other. like we will we will go for miles with one another when we feel, that sense of devotion—that we're taking care of one another, nobody gets left behind, and we're working for the benefit of all. So I want to invite you to stand, and uh, we're going to enter into a time of prayer. We're going to pray over a few different arenas of our church community, and then we're going to continue on in worship. And um, you know, sometimes you'll be praying for things that you're very familiar familiar with, and others it might be something you're like, "Wow, I've never thought to pray." about that in our church community, and I think that's a good thing, and as we often do when we do communal prayer like this, I want you to, um, I want you to pray out loud, and not because God can't hear you, but sometimes you need to hear yourself, and to go, oh yeah, this is, this is what I believe, this is what I want to ask of the Lord, and I, I just love to, that sound of others praying around me makes me feel like I'm not alone, and we're actually doing this thing together, so, um, so let's pray together. So Lord, we thank you for everything that you've already been stirring up within this community. Um, God, it was so sweet yesterday just to reflect on the past year and a half as we've been rebuilding um, kind of after the height of the the COVID pandemic. Um, Lord, I thank you for the new people that you've brought to us uh, who are finding something here that resonates, that are finding a sense of home. Lord, I thank you for the people that have remained dedicated and devoted Um, who show up time and again as an act of worship to you um, and as an act of solidarity with one another. And so God, I pray that you would lead our prayers um, uh, this morning. So first of all, I want you to pray and ask God to give you um, a heart of devotion and affection for one another. So ask God to give you a heart for this church. Pray for our spiritual and our emotional health. Ask God to give you a vision of what does it look like for all of us to become mature together. pray for those who are in positions of leadership, for our, uh, for our elder team, for our staff, and for our team leaders. Uh, we're going to pray for, uh, for our serving teams, for greenhouse, for tech, for operations, for engagement, for our honoring team. Um, is that everyone? Worship and our discipleship team. So just pray over those teams, especially if they're one that you're part of. We're gonna pray for our finances. Let's pray for our children and our families. Pray for those in our community who are single. We want to pray for our outreach, um, for understanding our place in time and in this location, that we really could be a shining light uh, to this city and be a blessing to our neighbors. Almighty and ever-living God, ruler of all things in heaven and earth, hear our prayers for this parish family, strengthen the faithful, arouse the careless, and restore the penitent. Grant us all things necessary for our common life, and bring us all to be one of one heart and mind with your Holy Church, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's worship.